0: Today, today, I am trying to figure out how in the world Kelly decides when I preach and when I don't. Last time it made sense to me, you know, Romans 12, it's a worship passage, the worship guy, okay, I get that. But today, one of the most hotly contested and debated sections of one of Paul's most hotly contested and debated letters the Holy Spirit and spiritual gifts in First Corinthians 12 to 14. I think he's dodging a bullet. I think he's throwing the new guy under the bus. What do you think? <laughs> oh, I'm not the new guy. at all the part-time guy under the bus. There it is. <laughs> spiritual gifts has always been a difficult topic for me. I come from a pretty cerebral stream of Christianity. I grew up in this church. We're pretty mind-focused people. We're a people who read the Bible. We talk about the Bible. We listen about the Bible. We memorize the Bible. And the spontaneity and the surprise that seems to be inherent with spiritual gifts is a big dilemma in such a cerebral context. Part of the dilemma for me stems from negative experiences, close up or afar with those who claim to be spiritually gifted. This is a scene, a gentleman by the name of Benny Hinn. You may have heard of him. He's a prominent televangelist who holds regular miracle crusades in stadiums and other picturesque locations, and then broadcasts them from his television program. He is there healing somebody, presumably. My problem is that when investigative journalists who do their job well Investigative reports have come out from places like the LA Times, NBC's Dateline, and CBC's The Fifth Estate. They've gone behind the scenes and they call into question these supposed healings. The list for me and for these people that leads to doubt is long. Multiple failed prophecies, everything from dictators that were supposed to lose their place to the end of the world. has actually been wrong twice now. No substantiated healings by somebody who followed around seven different healings over the course of a year. And a mail-out asking for donations towards a $36 million Gulfstream jet, which costs $600,000 a year to maintain. Perhaps the most damning are the dashed hopes, however, of those who are so desperate to find wholeness. People like Grace. I quote, At one Canadian service, hidden cameras showed a mother who was carrying her muscular dystrophy-afflicted daughter, Grace, being stopped by two screeners when they attempted to get into the line for a possible blessing from Benny. The screeners asked the mother if Grace had been healed, and when the mother replied in the negative, they were told to return to their seats. The pair got out of the line, but Grace, wanting Pastor Benny to pray for her, asked her mother to support her as she tried to walk as a show of her faith in action, according to her mother. After several unsuccessful attempts at walking, the pair left the arena in tears. Both Mother and daughter visibly upset at being turned aside and crying as they explained to the undercover reporters that all Grace had wanted was for Benny to pray for her. But the staffers rushed them out of the line when they found out Grace had not been healed. Cast a little doubt on the whole enterprise of spiritual gifts, don't you think? faith healers and prophets who have led conferences at a campus where my wife worked in campus services and where I had an office or often found to be rude and borderline abusive to their staffers. They themselves staying in five-star hotels while their underlings stayed in the cheapest that money could afford. Kelly could share with you similar stories about abusive power and dashed hopes. As a matter of fact, he did just earlier this week, and I imagine some of you might be able to as well. It's not that I'm close to God, intervening in our world in a miraculous way i'm not closed to that i'm open to god intervening in spectacular and miraculous ways i'm just so skeptical that it actually happens because of stories like these faith healers and these prophets it seems to me that when jesus healed it was immediate and it was obviously god's power at work blind men see blind men known by their communities now see lame men now walk not getting rid of crutches, but on their back, paralyzed, and now they walk. Shriveled hands being stretched out, dead men coming back from the dead. When Jesus healed, he went to the sick, and he actually tried to keep it quiet. The Gospel of Mark will tell us repeatedly that when Jesus drives out demons, he tells them, be quiet. And he tells those that he has healed to not tell anyone but go show yourself to the priest or to another man who had a bunch of demons driven out of him. Go tell your family what the Lord has done for you. It seems to me that Jesus operates in a totally different way than some of these televangelists that we see today that say, I'm healing you in the name of God. I am the one who has the power to heal you. When Jesus fed the crowds, it's interesting to me that he calls them out the very next day for their self-serving interest in following him. He actually says this. You are looking for me not because you saw a miraculous sign, not because you saw proof that God had actually worked in your midst. You're following me because you're hungry. You're following me because you got something from me. He calls out their self-serving interest. I'm all for performing miracles. But if you're going to do it, go to the hospitals, not the stadium. If you're going to do it, and go to the poor. Go to the hungry. Don't buy Rolls Royces and Streams with the proceeds that people send you. And don't keep asking us for money, promising that we're going to get tenfold in return. Real, real miracles and signs from God are not self-serving. But part of the dilemma for me around spiritual gifts isn't just these faith healers. For me, it's that for week after week after week, Years upon years, I have been a part of rational, orderly worship services. And I'm not disparaging that, just for the record. These were shaped by biblical examples and included the proclamation of biblical words in sermon and in song. And that's the problem for me. Because the Bible is so central to my faith, I can't dodge what's in it. If I am in fact going to be faithful to my calling to follow God and to know God's word and to preach God's word faithfully, I have to go through the whole word. I don't get to pick and choose what I feel comfortable with. It's not been easy for me because spiritual gifts are an important part of the text. It was an early January morning, 2001, when I left Dauphin, Manitoba with a bunch of other college kids to head down to St. Paul, Minneapolis. We weren't even an hour down the road before our right windshield wiper had been blown to smithereens and the bird along with it. Many hours later, we finally arrived in St. Paul. We cleaned off the windshield. We replaced the windshield wiper, and we settled in to serve with an after-school care program. For lunch, we'd often go across the street uh, to grab a bite to eat, take a bit of a break, and then return. During one of these lunches, a man, I can't remember his name, Claiming to be a prophet and a healer, came up to our table and gave us a tract to share about salvation. Being a good just did you guys catch this? Good. Being a good Church of Christ boy, newly minted for my first semester of Bible college, I pushed back when I realized baptism wasn't part of the equation. We ran back across the street, we went to great lengths. We ran back across the street to get a Bible. For him and challenge him, persuade us from the scriptures that in fact this is the way to salvation. But his flip flopping back and forth showed me that he clearly didn't know Genesis from Revelation. Which, if you're in the same boat as the beginning and the end of the Bible, I smugly challenged his claims about tongue speaking and healing. And there, right there in the middle of Burger King, he looked up and uttered some kind of unintelligible nonsense. I told him I'd injured my hand, which was the truth. And I challenged him to heal it. He placed my hand between his. He prayed. And then my hand was healed. Over the course of the next week. Like it always heals. But the only thing I'm thankful for from this shameful event. Is that God got a hold of me for just long enough. In the midst of my arrogance. So that I could see its ugliness. I was crushed. When I saw how my being right had mocked and belittled this man who was trying to spread the good news of Jesus. I was crushed when I saw that my being right was totally wrong. Spiritual gifts are a challenging, challenging topic for our rational, head-oriented church because we're skeptical of the glaring, bad examples of a few prominent faith healers. And yet we have some pretty glaring, bad examples of our own. We're deeply devoted to the Bible, but spiritual gifts are in the Bible. Thankfully, struggling with spiritual gifts isn't a new chapter in the history of the church. In fact, even in the first century, with fairly new churches, like the one that Paul planted in Corinth, spiritual gifts are a hot topic, even to the point of division. I invite you to open up your Bibles, if you haven't, to First Corinthians 12. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm going to go all over the word preaching today. So see if you can keep up. <laughs> First Corinthians chapter 12. I'm going to read a selection from the beginning. We'll start in verse 1. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. This is picking up in verse 7 now. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by If you'll turn just a little further over to First Corinthians 14, we're going to pick up in verse 2. Paul starts to write this in verses 2 to 5. Anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit, but the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather... That you prophesy the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. I thank God Paul writes that I speak in tongues more than all of you, but in the church. I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. It seems to me. That Paul says some really important things about spiritual gifts. And at the end of the day, if we choose to excise this part of our Bible and say we're not going to deal with spiritual gifts, then okay, that's your choice. I don't think we can do that to the Bible. It's one of the beautiful things about having a whole Bible, so we have to deal with it in its entirety. But as I read these, it's not just Paul saying there are spiritual gifts, and it's not even Paul saying. This spiritual gift is more important than that spiritual gift. I'll get to it in a moment. I know you're thinking prophecy. Didn't he say prophecy was more important? We'll get there. But it seems to me that one major point of contention between Paul and the Corinthians is that they had ranked the manifestations of the Spirit and speaking in tongues for the Corinthians had come out on top. As a result, it seemed that they were actually downplaying many other gifts of the Spirit. And so for Paul, I think... Tongue speaking is the issue, and here's why. There's a couple cues, there's three of them that I want us to think about. One is that when he lists various spiritual gifts, so first of all in chapter 12, verses 8 through 10, and then again in chapter 12, verses 28 to 30, tongues comes in at the end of the list. He doesn't omit tongues from the list. So speaking in tongues is obviously something important. He doesn't put it at the bottom of the list because it's the least, he puts it there because it's the issue and he wants to bring it into focus. Secondly, when he begins his very eloquent passage about love in chapter 13, he again brings tongues into focus from the list, or from the first, by saying, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. And so even here, Paul is still talking about tongues. The third thing, finally, Paul spends all of chapter 14 talking about tongues. Whether he's saying tongues, which is inspired, unintelligible speech, is contrasted to prophecy, which is inspired, intelligible speech, or whether he is putting constraints on speaking of tongues in the assembly. Whatever it is, for all of chapter 14, Paul's talking about tongues. I think that's the primary issue that he's getting at. But what we need to pay attention to and be very close about is what is Paul doing with that? What is Paul doing when he talks about speaking in tongues? it is remarkable to me that Paul does not say this or anything like it. Tongue speaking is not a gift of the Spirit. Have you thought about that? Paul never says tongue speaking is not a gift of the Spirit. Nor does Paul say anything like, you just think you're gifted by the Spirit, but that's false because the Spirit is only rational. Paul says nothing of the sort. There's no such thing as miraculous healing. Paul doesn't say it. And so when we look in this passage, we need to be very careful about what Paul does say. What does he say? He says things like this in chapter 14 and verse 5. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather that you prophesy. Or in chapter 14 and verse 18, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. That's fascinating to me. Paul never says away with tongues. Paul says explicitly, and in many ways in a passage that we haven't even touched on yet, the one spirit gives a multitude of gifts. It's one spirit, ton of gifts. There's diversity here. He very intentionally places tongues as a one among many gifts. He's not intending to downplay it as a gift of the spirit, nor elevate it to the status of most important gift. He's simply saying within the context of the spirit who gives lots of gifts, tongues is one of many. His extended discussion of the body being comprised of hands and eyes and feet paints the same kind of picture. If all of you were an eye, Paul would say, where's the sense of hearing? What if you were all an ear? Where would the sense of smell be? That Paul's a pretty sharp guy. Where would the sense of smell be? Well, it wouldn't, and that's his point. We're all gifted in lots of different ways because the body of Christ is made up of hands and feet and eyes and the head. It's made up of ears and noses and knuckles and toes. It's made up of all sorts of parts, and that's what makes it the body. And they all work together, functioning together the way it's supposed to. Paul does not ever push tongues or any spiritual gift out of the picture in favor of another. No spiritual gift does Paul raise up higher than the others. Not even the gifts of wisdom and of knowledge and of rational speech. None of them, he says, they are all gifts of the Spirit. That is really interesting to me. But there's another pressing problem in Corinth that Paul has to address and that's that the Corinthian spirituality was completely devoid of ethics. They claim to experience the gospel of Jesus. And in particular, they're probably saying something like, I'm speaking in tongues that are out of this world. I have already achieved the angelic realms. This is proof of that. I am so spiritual. I don't need to care about bodily, earthly things anymore. But I want you to pay attention to, for a brief moment, as I draw them out of the book uh, the things that paul does address that are very bodily in first corinthians he addresses sexual promiscuity he says that's not okay you can't go have sex with a prostitute and say you follow jesus they are incompatible you can't join the members of christ with the members of a prostitute he'll say as a matter of fact a little bit later he'll say you can't withhold sex from your spouse spouse because you're too spiritual for that that's not okay Would you agree these are fairly bodily things? Paul has a fairly earthy spirituality in which our bodies and our spirits are together and inextricably linked. He'll go on, he'll actually say, Corinthians, you cannot allow, or maybe even they're promoting, socioeconomic divisions around the Lord's Supper. That's a pretty bodily thing. He says, you can't deny that there's a bodily resurrection coming in chapter 15. Paul is really, really interested in the way that their spirituality and their ethics tie together. It seems somehow that all the, the Corinthians believe they've become fully spiritual and therefore not needing to adhere to any kind of bodily ethical conduct. What's the lawsuit here or there? Eh. Sleep around a little? Eh. It's just the body. Paul says, no, it does matter. Because the members of God and you, you are a member of the body of Christ. Even as Paul struggles with the Corinthians about spiritual gifts, he doesn't say no spiritual gifts. He does say, however, I think this is crucial, pay attention to how you use your gifts. I've had the privilege over the course of this year on a couple occasions of playing the role of the Holy Spirit in a skit. I will not proclaim by any stretch that drama is my gift, (laughs) But I am willing to be part of the body in whatever way I'm called to serve. And so today, the worship planning group and I thought that, you know, maybe Paul's message could be faithfully and playfully illustrated as to what he's really getting at. And I invite you into this skit. So I'm going to move out of preaching mode for a moment, which is really hard for me. I'm a head guy. That's kind of where I live. And I'm going to try and move a little more into the heart and the hands guy for a minute. So I'm going to switch out of my preaching mode into playing the Holy Spirit mode. And I invite you to go there with me. For a few minutes one of my greatest joys one of my greatest joys is giving gifts to my beloved each one is a reflection of my desire for them it's a reflection of me for the common good of the whole body to one I give wisdom and to another one I'll give knowledge uh, to some I give faith to another healing to others miraculous powers to some, to some, I give the gift of speaking in tongues. To others, interpreting tongues. I give them as best I determine. Some people just won't take my gifts. Whoa. Whoa. Some people just admire the gift. They won't open it. Some people open their gift, eventually. And some people, some people, yeah, some people. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you. you are welcome. And some people. They open their gifts wholeheartedly. You have different gifts according to the grace that I've given you. If, you. if it's prophesying, then prophesy. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's serving, then serve. If it's giving, do it generously. If it's showing mercy, do it cheerfully. If it's leading, do it diligently. Whatever it is that the gift that I've given you, please open it and use it for what I intended it to be used for. The two of you who opened your gifts. I'm so thankful. Love and faith, you have blessed me. You have been blessed and you will bless others by opening that gift. Each of you, each of you has gift to receive. Open it. So what about the gifts then? couple things that i think paul makes really really clear what do we do with the gifts and the first thing is this there is a diversity of gifts he hammers it from beginning to end of chapter 12 to 14 one very intelligent man writes this paul's concern is for diversity on the one hand and for mutual concern in the body on the other The singular focused on one gift, hear this very, very carefully, be it tongues, prophecy, or healing in charismatic churches, or strictly cerebral gifts in others, did you hear that? In strictly cerebral gifts in others, destroys the diversity of the body. We cannot have a church that reflects Jesus if we're only head people. If we say there are no tongues and there is no prophecy and there are no healings and there are no, there's no leadership and there is no... If we dismiss everything or any part of it, we are in fact not reflecting the Spirit of Christ who gifts the church according to the way the Spirit chooses and not the way that we choose and are comfortable with. No single gift can trump the others. There is a diversity of gifts. We need people who can preach. We need people who can sing. But just as much, we need people who love to put the chairs away and set the chairs up. We need people who love the toddlers. We need people who will, as Kelly told us a few weeks ago, go clean the blood off somebody's house when their loved one has committed suicide. We need all kinds of gifts. And so whether you're an upfront, loud person like me, or you're in the back, quiet person like you, That's, and I'm not saying all of you, you know who you are. You don't want me to call you out, so I'm not going to. We need all the gifts in the body. It's a diversity of gifts. So I hope that we hear that loud and clear, beginning to end. Secondly, they're for building up the church. Chapter 12 and verse 7, we read part of this earlier. Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. We could look elsewhere. Chapter 14 and verse 5 says this, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. He who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless he interprets so that the church may be edified. The point is the building up of the church. We could flip a little bit further. Chapter 14 and verse 12. So it is with you since you're eager to have spiritual gifts try to excel in the gifts that Build up the church. I've got a few more here, but i'm going to leave them alone for the moment I think you get the point Paul is saying whatever your gift it is to be used to build up the church and that happens in lots of ways That aren't just sunday morning. I hope that we have moved past this building being church I hope that we moved into this people is church And that as this people moves about from this place to our lunch places, to our home places, to our workplaces, we continue to be the church. There is a myriad of ways in which we can all serve and build up the church. And we need to. We need to. That's what Paul says. But what I find really, really interesting, it's smack dab in the middle of chapters 12 and 14, is this. Paul draws our attention to this. uh, It's a marriage text, isn't it? Isn't it a wedding text about love? If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love. Oh, that plays so well at weddings. Tongues? What? Paul is not talking here about marriage or Valentine's Day. He could care less about, well, I shouldn't put words in his mouth. He probably does care about you and your spouse and how you interact with each other. But this isn't the text for it. Ephesians 5 is probably the text for it. What Paul is saying here is the context in which all spiritual gifts have to be exercised is love. This is a spiritual gifts text. Chapter 12 is about spiritual gifts. Chapter 14 is about spiritual gifts. So chapter 13 is about spiritual gifts. That's right. And Paul is saying you guys are missing the point by saying tongues are higher than all the rest just as much as we miss it by saying rational gifts are above all the rest. And right smack in the middle, we need to find love as the appropriate context for the exercising of all spiritual gifts. Finally, we need to pursue and excel at these gifts. There's a really interesting text out of Exodus chapter 31 when God says this, the Lord says to Moses, he's trying to tell Moses, here's how you're going to build the tabernacle, here's how you're going to build the tent and all the furnishings and and the place where I'm going to come live and dwell among you and As he's saying all this, he says this to Moses. See, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of crafts. Moreover, I have appointed a holy ab, son of somebody else that I can't pronounce of the tribe of Dan to help him. Also, I have given ability to all the skilled workers to make everything I've commanded you. Earlier this week, I was reflecting on this text and uh, with Kelly and Kelly says to me, Mike, do you think that's actually like a gifting of the spirit or is that just kind of their natural skill that they've built up over the years and years of practice? And Kelly, I want to say Yes. Yes, it is both and. It is not an either or thing. Why is it that if I am gifted as a... I was looking at you, Ryan, so I'm going to be gifted as a carpenter for a moment. Why is it if I'm gifted as a carpenter, and I love to do that, so I spend a lot of time doing that, it might even be my career, and I love to do that, why is it that that cannot be a gift from God if I choose to exercise that as a gift to God, to glorify God? If I love to play piano because I grew up from a young age until a slightly older age playing piano, why can't I do that to the glory of God because it's a skill that I've built up over time? If I love to teach people new things, why can't I be a teacher in my workplace or my local taekwondo club or at church? If I exercise these gifts in a way that's going to honor God, why can't they be considered spiritual gifts and not just skills? that I've kind of acquired along the way, thus bringing glory to me and not so much to God. I think it's a fantastic thing. If we can look at, here's how God is madey. It is consistent with the character of God. It is in line with the teachings and the example of Jesus. It is inspired and in line with the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Those are spiritual gifts if you offer them back to God to glorify God. And if we can take anything from Paul today, he's saying, Everyone in the church is gifted in some way to help shore up and build up some part of the church. I remember watching a show on TV um, called Chopped. Some of you may be Food Network fans, yeah? Um, and there was a really interesting episode I watched. It was a few years back, and the gentleman on there, it was just he was a phenomenal chef. They're given a very short period of time to produce uh, appetizer, entree, and a dessert. And uh, then they're judged by these people. And even the judges, as they watch this guy work, they're like, whoa, is he really going to try that in this short of a period of time? You bet he did. And he succeeded, almost. He didn't actually win. But here's what I find absolutely fascinating. He was a guy who was working back in the Adirondacks. I don't know where that was, but the way the judges talked about it, when they're like, what are you doing working in the Adirondacks? I'm assuming it's somewhere not really, uh, you know, posh, like, New York. Um, and so they're like, what are you doing back there? And his answer was, I'm serving God. He actually said on camera in front of however many hundreds or thousands or millions, I don't know, of people that watch the show, God is my inspiration for this. Well, is it because he loved cooking and he worked on it his whole life? Or is it because he decided to give God the glory? Yes, it's a spiritual gift. I hope today we're going to spend a Excuse me, just a couple minutes reflecting on two very important questions. I hope today, as we look at these passages, as we look at the Bible that we cherish, that we hold dear, and I am not disparaging that because I love it and I hold it dear. I hope that we can hear that the message is not either or, but both and. The message, in fact, is the Spirit has gifted the church in all sorts of ways. You artistic folks may not get me in my theological reasoning, Me and my theological reasoning may not get you artistic folks, and that's awesome because we belong in the same body together as long as we exercise our gifts for the glory of God. There's a ton of gifts. We're supposed to use them to build up the church, and we're supposed to work at it. Pursue them, Paul says. Excel at these gifts that are used for the building up of the church. So naturally, here's the questions. How has the Spirit gifted you? To build up the church. How has the Spirit gifted you to build up the church? And then a question that probably looks familiar because it was the same one from last week. How is the Spirit encouraging you to use that to build up the church?